day and welcome to this edition of Big Ideas in Supply Chain. My name is Anne Robinson and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Canaxis. My guest in studio today is Dr. Harish Krishnan, Professor of Operations and Logistics at the Sauter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. Harish and I share a passion for advanced analytics and supply chain, and he'll share some of his thoughts on the ev evolution of the role of the human in the age of AI. Harish, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Anne. I'm delighted to be here. Can you share a little bit more about yourself, your background, and your passion for supply chain and advanced analytics? How did this interest get started? So um, I've been at UBC Solder for 20 years, and before that I did my PhD at the University of Michigan. And before that I worked in the auto industry as an industrial engineer in Detroit and Windsor, actually. And it was during that time I read um, this classic book called The Machine That Changed the World mm -hmm. uh, about lean manufacturing and the history and how it came about and was adopted widely. And uh, I was really fascinated. I remember reading this book. Uh, at that point, I wasn't sure I wanted to do a PhD. But what the book really did was, you know, really brought out the challenge that organizations face in uh, taking complex work and mm -hmm. breaking it up into pieces and then, you know, spreading that out and doing each piece separately and efficiently and then sort of bringing it all back together. And so this, uh, you know, was clear to me right then was this is not an engineering problem. It's not a technical problem. Mm -hmm. It's a social, it's a managerial problem. Uh, and and I found that fascinating that, you know, you had to bring in so many different, uh, um, you know, aspects of understanding, you know, how things work effectively, uh, you know, the, the, the technical piece and the human piece and so on. Uh, and since then, I've been working on, on you know, thinking about this and um, trying to study it and communicate it and, and so on. Oh, that's fascinating. That book is a classic for sure. Yes. Um, I know you've been thinking a lot about the difference between tasks and decisions. Can you explain to our audience sort of what do you mean by that and, and why does this matter? So uh, when uh, I was asked to participate uh, in this panel that you're uh, having here, uh, the big ideas in supply chain, uh, on supply chain talent, I, I thought it might be helpful to go back and look at the research literature to see you know, what people have written about supply chain talent. And I found um, the economics, uh, the labor economics literature on technology and the impact of technology on the future of work uh, to be quite relevant. And um, I found that it also resonated with how I've been teaching you know, process and supply chain for, uh, for, for a long time. And basically, uh, what the, the literature in labor economics is starting to sort of recognize is that work is really you know, a, a number of different pieces that have mm -hmm. to be put together. So we take something complex, like I said, and you break it up and then maybe you outsource it or you offshore it or you just do it in your own organization but in a different silo. Um, and uh, there are good reasons to do this, of course. You get the benefits of specialization and economies of scale and so on. Uh, and then, of course, we have to put everything back together, which is where things like concurrent planning are so important, I think. Uh, but if we just think about the process of breaking up work, uh, I think um, it's useful to think of sort of two types of work that okay. we get. One are tasks mm -hmm. and, and the other are decisions. And the way I would define a task is something that is more routine, mm -hmm. something that can be specified in advance. So, you know, if a clothing manufacturer is outsourcing the stitching of T-shirts, 
Uh, it might require a lot of uh, you know, human dexterity to do it, but it is very routine and can be specified up front. Whereas decisions, on the other hand, are by definition things you can't specify in advance. So mm -hmm. decisions have to be made based on new information, based on the context. Uh, and you know, w we, we basically have sort of a combination of decisions and tasks that are required. And I think this matters, or the reason this is relevant for our conversation on supply chain talent is uh, technology, if you just look at the evolution of technology, uh, this is not a complete story, but arguably technology automates tasks more easily, mm -hmm. the things that are routine and can be specified in advance, yep. um, and reduces the need for the human element. Maybe not completely eliminates mm -hmm. it, but reduces it. Um, decisions, on the other hand, are not so easily automated. Now, when you need human judgment, it's harder to automate. Now, of course, you know machine learning can now you know, you can drive a car with, uh, you know, uh, an algorithm, mm -hmm. which does require human, or we used to think it requires human judgment. But in general, I think it's true that, you know, tasks are easily automated, decisions are not. I mean, technology can augment decision making by providing yes. better data and so on. But uh, basically, what all of this, I think, points to is over time, uh, the human element is much more focused on those decision making uh, roles within organizations, within supply chains. And I think uh, as we think about talent and training and so on, we really need to think about, you know, how do we sort of enhance those skills? How do we get more people with those skills? Mm -hmm. Because I think the task-based skills are becoming less important and the decision-making skills are more important. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Uh, at Connects, as we talk about automating the obvious. Right. And I think as our AI algorithms have become more sophisticated, AIML has become more sophisticated, the complexity of the obvious has grown. But you're absolutely right. Ultimately, that um, accountability, algorithms aren't accountable. So that's where humans come into play. Right. And the supply chain is human, as, uh, as I yes. think is something else that uh, you've, uh, you've pointed uh, to. So, so yeah, I think that kind of points to the same thing. Yes. So if tasks will increasingly be automated, and I think that's what we've just spoken to, what are some of the examples in the supply chain where we've seen that auto automation happen, and how will that help? And ultimately, you know, there are skeptics out there who say, you know, do I really want this automation to happen? How do we grow and develop trust in the automation? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great question. So maybe an example is in supply chains is sort of the traditional automation of, sort of routine tasks in a warehouse or a distribution center with greater use of material handling uh, technologies. Now, clearly this can increase efficiency. But I think one risk we run into here is that you know, some tasks are easier to automate than other tasks, or certainly tasks are easier to automate than decisions. Uh, and so there's a risk of sort of over-automating in some sense. And so uh, the best maybe way to illustrate this is, again, going back to a classic book that I use in my teaching is The Goal mm -hmm. uh, by, by uh, Goldratt uh, and The Theory of Constraints. And I think there's a story in that book uh, about, you know, this, of course, goes back to the 1980s, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, the book about, uh, there's a story about how, um, you know, they invested in robots in that particular plant. And because they invested a lot of money, there was this need to keep the utilization of the robots high, and so the robots kept working. But that didn't really help the entire process because all it did was create you know, more work in progress and, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, because once you automate a bottleneck, 
and it's no longer the bottleneck. The bottleneck has shifted somewhere else. Right. Right. And so I think one of the things that we have to consider is uh, as we automate certain tasks, it's going to sort of put pressure on other tasks that maybe are not automated, or we, maybe there's a bigger human element there. Maybe it's a, you know, a human in a decision-making role, or maybe it's a human in a task role, but you know, that task is harder to automate because it requires more dexterity or whatever. Uh, but I think the, the, the point here is that as you automate certain tasks, you're putting pressure on the human element in some way. Uh, and I think that this can backfire, like mm -hmm. you said, because I think um, if automation ends up sort of stressing the human, because now they become kind of the, the weak link or the mm -hmm. bottleneck, um, then I think you know this is, um, especially in a world where we care about supply chain talent and you know making sure that you know people are coming into the field, you don't want to create processes where automation is creating more stress for the human element. Rather, you want to find ways in which you think about the effect of automation on the entire process, and you want to sort of augment and assist the human element in mm -hmm. whatever role they're doing, uh, rather than you know just automate the easy, as you said earlier, and then stress the human. Uh, and uh, if we can figure out you know how not to do that, uh, rather how to use automation to sort of enhance the overall uh, sort of effectiveness of the process. Uh, I think that's that's an important uh, consideration. Yeah, that's uh, it, very interesting. I think what what I've observed is that as that automation has happened in supply chain, the supply chain practitioner role has changed as well. You don't necessarily have to have that skills of doing that repetitive task that has now been automated, but instead you want somebody who has got domain expertise of supply chain and an understanding of business dynamics and these other pieces of it that will then allow them to focus in a different kind of way. And maybe that prior um, type of talent that you had in supply chain would feel stressed, or now we're seeing it as a, an up-leveled, you know, more value-added position and becomes actually that much more of an exciting right. role, an exciting career choice, and which is why we need more academics like you actually helping us funnel more students uh, into this, this yeah. discipline. Absolutely. It is a question of framing, I think, uh, that is, we frame this as, you know, now that human element is in a much more effective and important and value-added role. But I think it's very easy to um, sort of automate in a way that it's creating stress rather than enhancing mm -hmm. the productivity of the... So, so how do you teach differently right. so that students are better prepared to make better decisions in this context of, of automation and sort of enhanced responsibility and decision-making? And what can we in industry do to help you with this challenge so that you can have graduates who are ready to sort of g meet these new challenges. Right, I think, uh, I think definitely as you've alluded to, this is a challenge that requires you know, more attention from, mm -hmm. from all of us. Um, I, clearly, you know, as routine tasks become more automated, the value of human judgment and human decision-making becomes much more important. But this is a complex skill set, right? Judgment mm -hmm. and decision-making is, uh, is multifaceted and it's complex and it's hard to teach. I think we have an understanding of some of the elements, like we've talked about this for a long time. You know, we've talked about soft skills and emotional mm -hmm. intelligence and so on. Um, but uh, one of the articles I read uh, was an article by David Deming, who's a, a labor economist at, uh, at, at Harvard, who pointed out that 
we really don't have a good handle on how to measure these skills, like how do you measure mm -hmm. soft skills, right. uh, and how to sort of create these skills. I mean, I think his words in the article were, we don't have, we don't have a good understanding of the technology that creates the skills. And I think that's, that's, the, you know, that's what universities do, right? We, we, uh, we, we try to create these skills, we try to foster these skills, and I think it's hard. Now, one way to think about this is um, in terms of interpersonal and intrapersonal skills, and this is again from, um, from Deming's work. Um, so we understand interpersonal skills, you know, we call it, say, teamwork skills, uh, but we can think about it more broadly. Um, so Amy Edmondson, uh, also from Harvard, and some co-authors have what they call cross-silo skills, which include things like you know, the ability to connect people across silos, mm -hmm. you know, either by being a bridge or by being you know, a, the glue that kind of right. brings people together. Uh, you know, the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, like to understand what you know, problems your you know, uh, inputs are creating for somebody else. So you know, empathy more broadly, uh, the ability to ask the right questions. Right? So, and for that, you need to have the understanding of the bigger picture, uh, to take a broad view of the problem. Um, and, and all of these are hard to, to do. I think a lot of it comes from experiential learning. So, you mm -hmm. know, we, uh, uh, where I want to go with this is to talk about how we can create more experiential learning opportunities for, for students in collaboration with, uh, with partners from industry. But other than the interpersonal skills, there's the intrapersonal or the decision-making skills. And so this includes things like, you know, how do you, uh, uh, how do you consider all your alternatives? You know, maybe you have to think creatively about what are the choices you face in a particular situation? Uh, how do you acquire information? Uh, how do you, uh, you know, uh, make inferences from small data? You know, big uh, machines are good at doing big data inferences, but humans mm -hmm. are good at doing inferences from small data. So that's a skill. Um, you know, how do you uh, test and evaluate alternatives? So that requires some counterfactual thinking, uh, meaning, you know, if I didn't do this, what would happen? You know, sometimes we look at an action and we say, well, you did that and nothing much happened. But that's not the right measure, right? Mm -hmm. If you did, didn't do that and the whole you know, business fell apart, then that's the value exactly. of the position, yeah. right? So, so all of these are kind of hard to, to, uh, to teach. And so what I would say is we should really have um, a, a way to sort of create more experiential learning opportunities mm -hmm. for students. And we do that. I mean, we have you know co-ops and internships, and we do projects, and we have guest lectures, and so on. Uh, but I think there is sort of both the need and the opportunity to do more. And I think through you know events such as the one you, you're having here, the panel, and this conversation, I hope we'll be able to come up with you know more ideas for collaboration. So if I was to summarize, as we see this evolution towards more automation recognize the pressure it puts on the human decision-making and that as, as leaders we need to figure out how to ensure we're enabling those people the amount of, of skill, relief, empathy, understanding to be successful in that decision-making. And ultimately, if we look to someone like yourself as a faculty member, if we want you to produce um, future employees who will be capable of handling this, we need to provide the support the experiences so that they can actually learn as they're going through their education. Right, absolutely. Uh, so uh, yeah, and I think that there are good models we can build on, 
but the challenge always is scaling. Good, some models yeah. work really well in the, in a smaller scale, and the moment you try to scale it up to meet more demand, it becomes harder. Now I have one last question before for you before we go. A quick last quick one. Um, we've been asking all of our podcast guests this question, so uh, I'll be curious to hear your answer. If you were the chief supply chain officer of the world, what would your first priority for transforming the world's supply chains be? Um, decarbonization. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've uh, been thinking a little bit about this as well. I think we need to start thinking quickly and creatively about things like carbon accounting uh, and supply chain visibility and life cycle carbon emissions uh, and um, uh, you know also the technologies that uh, you know maybe kind of support you know tracking of carbon uh, throughout a supply chain uh, and you know using all this if we can start taking steps to eliminate carbon um, from supply chains I think that should be a priority and I think the ideas and tools are, are there mm -hmm. but they are sort of just now coming together and so more focus on that would be uh, I think an important thing to that's a that's a great answer and I, I couldn't agree more well thank you for the discussion today this was great I appreciate you being here thank you very much Anne if you'd like to learn more about Professor Krishnan and the Sauter School of Business please find a link in the podcast bio and please join us next time as we explore more big ideas in supply chain. Thank you.